You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Come on. Appreciate y'all. And it's going to be a good time today. Yeah, we had some great uh, text conversations early in the season and then uh, around playoffs. He texted me and I responded with a uh, new phone, who dis? Anybody? No? Okay. Y'all will warm up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. So uh, I've got two core values. Number one, if I can't laugh, I'm not going. So uh, we'll have some fun today. And uh, everybody has permission to laugh at my terrible jokes. It makes me feel better. And, okay, that was a little... <laughs> let's dial it back just a scotch, if you would. <laughs> uh, uh, my second core value is if we're not changing the world, I'm not playing. And so uh, the only reason I'm here is I believe I have the opportunity, thanks to these guys, to come and speak to a room full of world changers. And uh, man, you are the solution. You are God's solution to all the problems in the world. Colossians 1.27, it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Have you ever noticed that uh, in our charismatic streams, oftentimes when we hear the word glory, We'll begin to think about the weighty presence of God. We might think about a glory cloud or some gold dust or angel feathers. And I'm down with all of that. But when God himself is asked to define his own glory, and Moses says, God, will you show me your glory? And God says, yes, I will. Then God causes what to pass before him? His goodness. So when God himself is asked to define his own glory, he defines it as his goodness. The glory of God is his goodness. So Christ in you is the world's hope of experiencing the goodness of God. Come on, man. That gets me pumped up. Ooh, man. Because you don't need the hope of glory. Because you are the host of glory. The goodness of God resides in you. Holy Spirit joyfully chose to take up residency within you. So you don't need the hope of glory. You are the host of glory. And as you step out into the world, you are the hope of glory for the world. For them to have the opportunity to have a taste, to taste and see that the Lord is good because it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, changing the way that they think. Every issue that we have in culture is based upon the mindset of a people group that has not realigned with the mind of Christ, with God's way of doing things. And so the way to see the shifts and the changes in culture that we want to see, those hashtag holy shifts, if you will. Okay. Oh, whoa, whoa. With an F, holy shifts, okay, that we want to see in culture. Goodness, I should. Uh, Is to renew the mindsets of the people. Isn't it interesting that Jesus came preaching, repent, metanio. Change thinking, change the way you think. Repentance isn't getting super sorry and snotting on an altar. (laughs) Religion would like you to think that that is, right? As long as you come in here and you get super sorry and then you go back out and you do the same thing, religion's cool with that. Religion will allow you to hold hands with God but never be intimate with God. The kingdom allows you to be intimate with God. How many of you know that he is in you and you are in him? Inseparably one. Come on. It doesn't get any closer than that. Mm. Man, I, I haven't even gotten to my notes yet. Mm. Oh, my goodness. My, my, my. Yes. Ooh. Man, when you show up, God shows up. 
You have the mind of Christ. When you show up, the thoughts of God show up. Man, when you show up, the heart of the Father shows up. When you show up, the power of the Holy Spirit shows up. When you show up, the strategies and the solutions of heaven show up. They have walked into the room when you walked into the room. You are one with the one who knows all the things, and he likes to talk to you. That's a big deal. You are one with the one who knows all the things, and he likes to talk to you. So it should be easy for you to be the MVP in every room that you walk into. The most valuable player. Come on. Man, you have the strategies and solutions of heaven within you. You carry his goodness. You are the transformative agent of God in culture. Man. Woo. Let's do it. Come on, man. All right. So, as Chris mentioned, I'm, I'm all about the kingdom. The kingdom is my favorite thing. The working definition of the kingdom that I operate from is that the kingdom is the extension of both the heart and the authority of God from the unseen realm into the seen realm through you. The kingdom is the extension of the heart and the authority of God from the unseen realm into the seen realm through you. It's the original intent of God. And the kingdom has a familial side to it and a governmental side to it. You know, the body... What is the church? A church is a, a local expression of the body of Christ, a microcosm expression of the body of Christ in a specific location. And the church as well has a familial side and a governmental side. It has the bride side. And there are bride things that we do like worship, right? Worshiping the bridegroom, right? Intimacy with the bridegroom, taking communion, testimony, family, loving each other, right? And then the ecclesia side is the governmental side of the church. We are the ones that are to capture the protocols and the ways of the kingdom and, and implement them into culture with authority through dominion, not domination. There's a difference. Domination is not kingdom, but dominion is. Dominion looks like you showing up with authority over territories, atmospheres, and things, but not over people. You should be walking the earth as a king or a queen, having dominion over territory, atmospheres, and things, and then leveraging that authority, which came from King Jesus, on behalf of everyone around you to be able to outserve everybody in the room. That's what it looks like to walk in kingdom dominion. It's all about identity, but there's that governmental piece. And so uh, at my church back home, I accidentally started a church eight years ago. It was shocking. <laughs> I'll never forget the day I realized what I had done. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Because <laughs> I, started, I started getting the revelation of the kingdom. I started running my mouth about it, you know. And, uh, and some people were like super interested and hungry. And some people were like, heretic, right? It happens. And uh, <laughs> I'm quite comfortable with it by now. Uh, but, uh, and things are changing. More and more people are getting hungry for the kingdom. And so uh, I, I would rent this little uh, community center. And we would do a kingdom night once a month. And just talk about the kingdom. And people were like, man, we want to do this more. And so I was like, well, I think I can pull off, you know, twice a month. So we do it twice a month. And then everybody was like, we want to do it every week. And I was like, oh, man. And so we started, uh, we couldn't afford to rent the building. So we just started meeting in houses. And, and so we'd eat. And then we'd, you know, revelate about scripture and the kingdom and stuff. And, and one day I was reading in Acts. And it said that they went from house to house. And they were eating. And, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> what, what happened was <laughs> I had started a church. <laughs> 
And so uh, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen uh, The Lady in the Water. It's a, a movie by M. Night uh, Shyamalan, yeah. Shyamalan Ding Dong. And uh, so that's... <laughs> And there's a character in there that only works out one half of his body, right? So you're introduced to the character, and he's jacked, right? Looks like y'all's drummer. I was like, man, is he going to break? <laughs> Y'all had, like, look like little baby drums over there with that dude on him. <laughs> but he's all jacked, right? And then he turns, and he's got, his other arm looks like my daughter Cinda's arm, right? Just, which is perfect for you. <laughs> hey, if you, <laughs> she's out. <laughs> Oh, Cinda's hilarious. Oh, my goodness. Now, what we realized is because I'm very goal-driven and I'm like, man, we've got to equip the saints for the administration of the kingdom and culture. So, you know, we're a small church, but like everybody is like, they know who they are. They know what their mission is. You know, they're actively engaging culture, right? And I realized, man, we are, we're like all jacked on this ecclesia side and we're a little wimpy on the bride side, on the family side. And so uh, we hired uh, our first full-time pastor to come in, uh, Craig Ferris from, uh, from Austin. He just moved up about two months ago. And I'm super excited to see that, uh, see that bride side bulk up in our, in our local church, you know. And, um, and so I've been having some conversations. And so we know in part and we prophesy in part. But I see that, uh, that really strong bride side on you guys, a really strong family side. And I see um, the, just the strategies, the solutions, and the, the reformation of culture peace being developed in you guys. And, man, I'm just super excited about Resurgent and, and who you are becoming as a church, uh, having both portions, right? Being able to move with that family love heart aspect of God and moving with that governmental strategic authority part for the reformation of culture. And so it's an honor to be with you guys. I really feel like we are drinking from the same spring and uh, in the same type of development from a kind of a mirror image between our two churches. And so I'm pumped about uh, seeing those two things develop in our churches and seeing what, uh, what I believe that the new era church will look like. It's a, it's a good time. I was talking with my buddy Jim Hennessy down in Dallas about the New Era Church, and we feel that uh, some language surrounding that is that it will be about the restoration of family, the revival of people, and the reformation of cities. The restoration of family, the revival of people, and the restoration of cities. Reformation of cities. And uh, as I was praying about what to bring to you guys this morning... I'm always looking for the original intent of everything. I want to see what, what's the original design, what's the DNA. And, and so I was just praying about, uh, about you guys. And I feel that that restoration of family piece is such a huge piece of who you guys are and what you carry. And the ability to, um, in, in a world where many people's experience with church has been with, with religion, right, which is really about isolation and, and uh, man, just like boundaries and, and guarding hearts, right? And all of that, that one of the things that you guys are bringing is the restoration of true family in church uh, and for people to experience actual family in church. And uh, I'm, so where we're going to go this morning is the first time that we see family restored in scripture. And that's found uh, in the story of Cain. And I call this message the redemption of Cain. Have you guys ever heard a positive message about Cain before? <laughs> Today's the day. Write it down. Take a note, if you will. 
Uh, that's what we're going to be getting into because I love what happens with Cain. And so I'm going to be reading out of the New King James if you want to uh, open your Bibles or scroll in that direction. <laughs> I'll be in the New King James. And uh, we're going to be talking about the restoration of family, the first time that we see the restoration of family take place. And it's actually through Cain. And how many of you know that Cain did the greatest violence in family? Right? The first act of violence against family was perpetrated by Cain. But if we follow the story out, we see the restoration of family through Cain as well. And so this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll start with a little bit of background here. Uh, Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. How many of you know some creeps this morning? Don't raise your hand. Don't point at your neighbor. That's terrible. I'm going to pray for y'all. <laughs> ah, oh, my goodness. So he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, which begs the question, what is God like? Well, God is like other-focused, self-giving love. Because God is three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one being, and the three persons within that one being are other-focused and self-giving. Other-focused, self-giving love is the picture of what God is like. And so we are made in his likeness. We should be like that. We should be other-focused, self-giving love. Man, that sounds like a good, healthy family, doesn't it? Yeah. Come on. And he says, let us make man in our image. You are made to look like God. What does God look like? Well, the picture that, that God has revealed to us in Scripture is a king who is on a throne over a territory. And how many of you know that Scripture says that he is the king eternal? Meaning he has always been a king. God has never had a coronation day. He is the king eternal, which means that his kingdom has been eternal and will be everlasting. And so this king who has ruled and reigned in probably infinite numbers of dimensions as a king one day decides to create a new dimension called the physical realm. But he says, you know what? I'm going to create a son and a daughter and I'm going to allow them to experience what it's like to be like their dad. I'm going to let them have dominion over this new physical dimension. Let us create mankind in our likeness, in our image, and let them have dominion. You, were, my friends, were made for dominion. Genesis 1, uh, verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That's about the expansion of the dominion of God over the planet of earth. And then he says, fill the earth and subdue it. That word for subdue means to harness the power of something. Because how many of you know that a good father will empower his children? A good father will make sure that all of the resources necessary for his children to accomplish the fullness of their identity, purpose, and destiny is at hand and available for them to tap into. So this is a clue to his son and his daughter. There is power in the planet. There is power in the territory, and you simply need to harness it, subdue the earth. That's why he put oil within the earth. That's why he put coal within the earth. That's why he made water and wind to run across the face of the earth. That's why he made the sun to beat down upon the earth. He was, he was packing it with power for his children's purpose. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. You see, a good father will also provide for his children. And so he creates these three economic systems of provision. Birds that he created and told to multiply. Fish that he created and charged with multiplying. Cattle that he created and caused to multiply. Three financial systems of economics that he then gifts to his children. Have dominion over that. Come on, he's a good father. Genesis 1:31. Then God saw everything He had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Genesis chapter two, beginning in verse seven. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So on the planet of Earth there was a territory called Eden, and in the eastward portion of that territory called Eden, God planted a garden, which how many of you know that a garden is simply nature, creation that has been brought into order and under dominion in order to serve somebody. So Father says, I'm going to show you how this is done. Here is a, a, a part of the territory that is already under dominion, so you can see it, experience it, feel what it feels like, so that you can go out and advance this around the earth. Let's go for the sake of time to verse 10. Uh, we'll keep going. Verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man who he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. And the name of the first one was Pishon, which means increase. It is the one that skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is very good. Bedillium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river was Gahan, which means bursting forth. It is the one that goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river was Hedekel, which means rapidly. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates, which means fruitfulness. So here we have hidden the original intent of the territory is found in the names of the rivers. The original intent of the territory was to cause increase, to burst forth rapidly, producing fruitfulness for its owners. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, or in the day you eat of it you will surely die. What should happen to the man on the day that they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? They should die. Hmm. And the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Thank you, Jesus. I will make him a helper <laughs> comparable to him. Comparable to him. The original intent of Marriage is co-dominionship. Eden means pleasure. Oh, co-dominionship over pleasure. That sounds like a pretty good marriage. Mm, come on with somebody. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded of every tree, you may surely eat. Don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil or you'll die. I'll make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Now, the Hebrew word there for call means this specifically, to read, to call out, to recite, and to proclaim. And here we have the original intent of parenting. The number one most important job of a parent is to read the identity, purpose, and destiny on their children's life. Call it out of them. Recite it back to them until they know it, and then proclaim it so the world knows how to receive their child correctly. 
So the Lord is teaching, this is while the woman is still in the man, the Lord is teaching the man and the woman the original intent of parenting in this action. But for Adam was not found a helper comparable to him, 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. (laughs) Now, isn't it interesting, if if you go back and read everything up to this point, there is no mention of man going to heaven. If man had not fallen, how long would man have lived? Forever. Where? On earth. Oh, snap. So there's no mention. The original intent of man had no reference to going to heaven, no reference to going to hell, no reference to sin, no reference to the devil, and no reference to death. Now, what does religion focus on? Are you going to heaven? You dang sure don't want to go to hell. How much did you sin today? What's the devil trying to do to me today? And how much can you get done before you die? What would happen if you renewed your mind and you simply began to respond to your original intent and design rather than react to external circumstances? Religion wants to keep you in a place of navigation. The kingdom is about transformation. Religion will give you a rule book that teaches you how to move through life and hopefully avoid all the things that you shouldn't touch, whereas the kingdom equips you to show up and to transform whatever is in front of you. Everything that you touch should bear the mark of the kingdom. Every place where the sole of your foot treads should bear the mark of the kingdom. Have you ever thought about how you have toe prints? Right? It's weird. (laughs) One day, one day I was just in a service and I was like, I think I have toe prints. (laughs) Because I remembered, like, you know, when your kids are born and they put their feet in the ink and they put it on the birth certificate, you know? And I was like, dang, you have t- why do you have toe prints? And I was like, well, the most popular form of identification around the world to this day is still fingerprints. It's about identity. And so God put toe prints so that every place where the sole of your foot treads will bear the mark that you have been there. He put fingerprints so that everything that you touch will bear the mark that you have been there because you are a transformative people. You're not made to navigate. Oh, I can't wait for my favorite prophet to put out the word for the year so that I can navigate what's coming. No, 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 no. I'm looking for prophets to know how to release apostolic blueprints so that I know what to build and how to transform. I'm not looking to get through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm looking to transform the valley of the shadow of death into a city on a hill of life. Come on, enough navigation. Let's transform some things. Ooh, that was for free. All right, let's see. Oh, my goodness. All right. And remember the extension, the invitation from Jesus is to have a renewed mind, not a redeemed mind. Religion will allow you to have a redeemed mind. Pastor Chris talked about it. Oh, I'm just an old dirty sinner. Thankfully, I was saved by grace. I've been redeemed. True. And you've been renewed. Jesus said, renew your mind. Bring your mind all the way back to new. Only three persons have ever had a new mind, the man and the woman before the fall and Jesus. And you have the mind of Christ. You're allowed to renew your mind to the point that you live without a consciousness that you had ever fallen. As if you had never experienced a moment that you did not know what it felt like 
for Holy Spirit to be in you and for you to be in Jesus. Come on. Genesis 3. Now this sorry sucker shows up. <laughs> now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. The Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. You see, as soon as she engaged with the enemy in the conversation, and he didn't come in as a snake, by the way, right? <laughs> like in her little children's Bibles, right? She's always like halfway behind a bush, and there's a little green snake, and they're having a convo, Right? <laughs> He left on his belly like a snake. He didn't come in that way. If you study out, we don't have time for it, but if you study out that word for serpent, it's the bright shining one who whispers with the purpose of enchantment, which is bondage by the spirit. So the woman who is clothed in the glory of God and most likely a bright shining one herself sees another bright shining one and it seems sensible to have a conversation. But as soon as she engages with him, things start getting twisted because did God say, you shall not touch it? That was added. See, the enemy loves to get you to add things to what God says, right? That's what religion is all about. The kingdom is actually very freeing. There's so much freedom in the kingdom, and religion is all about constriction and control. So he comes whispering, and immediately things start getting kind of thrown off. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God knows on the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. But she was already like God because she was made in his likeness. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. Then they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, an act of religion. Maybe if I piece this together, I can cover up who I think I am now and and all of that isn't interesting. The only thing Jesus curses when he comes is a fig tree that looked good, but it bore no fruit. Hmm. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't it interesting that when sin entered the pictures, it didn't change God's routine. It didn't change his actions. He didn't have to adjust his schedule. He remains the same. <clears throat> they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? Not because he didn't know. Because <laughs> he's trying to help his blockhead son ask himself the right questions so that maybe he can experience some restoration. Where are you? And Adam should have thought, well, I'm not walking with you, which is what I'm supposed to be doing. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said to him, who told you you were naked? The right question. Whose voice have you been listening to? Well, I listened to a voice that wasn't yours, and that caused me to change the way I interact with you and what I do. So maybe I should just come back. Mm. And the man passes the buck. The woman who you gave me. <laughs> She gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now, there's a huge difference between curses 
and consequences. He's about to explain the consequences of their actions to the son and the daughter. He does not curse them. He curses two things, the serpent and the ground. So he curses the serpent. Cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you shall go and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, and now most of your English translations will say, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your conception. The I will has been added. If you look at that in the Hebrew, it would more accurately be translated, greatly multiplied will be sorrow in your conception. Most of us have been raised with some form of angry God theology. So the Lord's like, because you did this, I'm going to make it really tough on you. That's not in the original language. Greatly multiplied will your sorrow and your conception be in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Ah, co-dominionship became domination. Co-dominion became domination in that moment. Not because God is cursing them. The consequences of where they have chosen to remain rather than running back to the father. And he says this, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. You see, when I had angry dad theology, I was, God was mad about the sin. Now I'm going to curse the ground and make it really hard for you to produce food. Now go out there and think about what you did. <laughs> but how many of you know that if I do something for my daughter's sake, it's for her good? Yeah. Hold on. I will curse the ground for your sake, son. Ah, what's going on here? Well, the ground carried a divine charge, a sovereign command to prosper its owner, and ownership had changed hands. So now the devil owns territory that carries a divine blessing from God to prosper its owner, and God's like, not today, Jack. <laughs> and so the father steps in and curses the ground from the devil, which blesses it back to man. I'll prove this in a moment. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But I thought they were supposed to die the day they ate of it. But they didn't. So is this, maybe this is good news. How many of you know that if the, if the woman was supposed to die, but now she's going to have children, maybe that's good news. How many of you know that if the man was supposed to die, but... He's going to work hard and get to eat. Maybe that's good news, right? You want to make a woman happy, tell her she's going to have a baby. You want to make a man happy, tell him he's going to eat. <laughs> this is actually good news. Because they should have died, but they didn't. But something did. This is interesting. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. The man and the woman were supposed to die, but they didn't because the father stepped in and he killed two animals. Because when you employ sin, death comes on the scene, requiring payment. The wages of sin is death. If you employ sin in your life, death will come knocking, requiring payment. And life is in the blood. The only thing that pays death is life. What is the only thing that death is after? Life. The only thing that pays death off is life. So the father steps in and he kills two animals and the life that's in the blood of those animals holds death's hand at bay. So it can't take the life of his sons and daughter, his son and daughter. 
so that they can continue to live. You see, that's why so many times in scripture, go study this out, it's crazy. <laughs> you have, you have the, the, the teachers of the law and what are they wanting? More and more sacrifices, more and more blood, more and more, right? And then the prophets are over here like, so I was talking with God this morning and he said offerings and sacrifices he didn't desire. He didn't even want that. And I'm like, what? Oh, because I was raised to believe the sacrifices was to appease God so he didn't kill the people. I'm telling you, go, go study it out for yourself. Sacrifices I did not require, nor was I even pleased with them. The blood didn't go to God. God's not up there like Dracula God. Look at all that sin down there. I'm getting really angry. Oh, a cup of blood. Thank you. Oh, I love these people. That's weird, right? Bipolar God? What's happening? Like, like he's really mad at but then like you kill a bird and he's cool? It's weird, right? <laughs> you see, the blood of Jesus didn't go to God to pay him off so that he could stand you. He's the good father, not the Godfather. Come on. Jesus' blood paid the price you could not pay to your slave owner, which was the system of darkness, sin, death, the grave, devil, hell. All of that system owned you. The blood of Jesus comes in and it's so valuable, it bankrupts that entire financial system. God purchases you back to himself and now he owns you and your sin and he forgives your sin. Because that's his heart. You can't be paid for and forgive the same debt. If Scott has a restaurant and I walk into Scott's restaurant and I see Jake there having a meal, I walk up to Scott and I say, hey, Scott, I want to pay for Jake's meal and he receives payment, is there still a debt? But then Scott walks over and he says, Jake, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm gonna forgive you the debt of your meal. Is that integrity? Can he do that? But most of Christianity has been told, Father got paid for your sin and he forgave your sin. No, the system of darkness got paid, <laughs> bankrupted with a massive overpayment. And when God owns you in your sin, he forgives your sin because he's a good father. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's keep going here. Mm. <laughs> also, at, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, in most of your English translations, there will be a dash there. And that would be correct because there's a symbol in the Hebrew, which means an incomplete thought because it's too painful to articulate. So the father is saying, they are in proximity to the tree of life, which the fruit produces immortality, but they are in a fallen state. I can't, if they ate of the tree of immortality of life and lived forever in a fallen state, he can't even finish the thought. It's too painful for the father because he already has the plan of redemption in play. He, Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. So he's going to remove them from the garden so that they don't eat and live forever in a fallen state because he's going to purchase them back. And now we can eat from the tree of life, Jesus, and live forever as in our new state, the, the kinoskatesis, the new creation. Come on. 
Therefore, the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man. He placed cherubim at the east side of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis 4. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, which means possession, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. So Abel steps up and kills an animal. And God's like, oh, he's acting like me. I did that for your parents. Does that make sense? He teaches the Israelites how to do that so that death's hand is at bay until Jesus comes. Right? So it's not that he had it out for Cain. It's that Abel was looking like his father. And so, the Lord respected Abel and his offering. He did not respect Cain and his offering. Respect there really just means to look upon or to not look upon. And so the father's gaze was drawn towards Abel because Abel was acting like him. Father was the first one to sacrifice an animal. Abel's looking like his heavenly father. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not also be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. What? That's, that's the Lord prophesying over Cain. You shall rule over it. So I bet you by the end of the story, he's ruling over it, because I feel like God's probably not a false prophet. <laughs> Chances are. Probably pretty accurate. But you shall rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in a field that Cain rose up against, his Ab against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth. Listen, God doesn't curse his children. You are cursed from the earth. Where did the curse proceed from? Did it proceed from the mouth of God or did it proceed from the mouth of the earth? He says the mouth of the earth has opened and received the blood of your brother. And now you are cursed from the earth. Watch this. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. You see, the ground was, was carrying, when it was cursed from the enemy, it was blessed back to man. How do I know this? Because of that next line, which says this. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you, which tells us that the earth had been lending its strength to Cain. So when God cursed the earth from the devil, it blessed it back to man, and the earth was again operating responding to the ones that look like God, and then it opens its mouth and it receives the blood of Abel and it sees Cain not acting like God and says, I will not serve that one. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. Now watch this. Now God is explaining consequences again. He says, a fugitive, which means shaking and unstable, and a vagabond or a wanderer, you shall be on the earth. So he says, the ground will no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive 
shaking and unstable, and a vagabond or a wanderer you shall be on the earth. Those are the three consequences. And Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear, which is a statement of repentance. How many of you, when you stepped into the realization of where you were headed, and you were like, oh no, (laughs) that punishment is greater than I can bear. And the Lord's like, awesome, would you allow me to bear that for you? Because I'd like to redeem you back from that. And that's how you came to the Lord. So Cain is hearing the consequences of his actions. And he says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. It's an act of repentance. I'm going to prove it. Stay with me. Now he says this, surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. Did God say that? No, Cain's just adding stuff. That's what we all do. (laughs) We just add stuff to what God said when we get down to the dumps. You've driven me out this day from the face of the ground, which God didn't do. I will be hidden from your face, which God never said. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on this earth. He did say that. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Did God say that? No. He's just adding stuff, making stuff up. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark. Now that word for mark in the Hebrew means a distinguishing mark or a miraculous sign. What? You see, when I had angry dad theology, he was like, Cain's pitching a fit. Oh, I'm going to go roam the earth. Someone's going to kill me. And the Lord's like, no, I'm not going to let anybody kill you because you're going to think about what you did your whole life. Let me put a mark on you so that no one will touch you. So you've got to suffer with what you, no, no, no. The Lord, Cain is like, he's being tormented with all these things, right? And he's making up stuff that's going to happen to him. The Lord's like, no, 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 I got you. And then he touches him with a miraculous sign. Oh, my goodness. He's a good father. Father didn't fall in the garden. Man fell in the garden. Father didn't change in the garden. Man changed in the garden in the fall. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, what was the consequences of his actions? That he would be a vagabond, which is a wanderer, and a fugitive, unstable and shaky. Okay? So he's supposed to live an unstable life and wander all of his days. But what happens? Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord in which he had been touched with a miraculous sign and he dwelt. You know what the opposite of wandering is? Dwelting. (laughs) Listen, if he was supposed to go wander, but instead he goes and dwells in a place, how many of you know he has overcome The consequences. How can you overcome the consequences of your sin by repenting and allowing the Lord to move on your behalf? So he begins to dwell in a land called Nod. Nod means wandering. So the man who is supposed to reap wandering goes to a place called wandering and dwells. He takes victory over the consequences of his actions. How many of you know you can only do that with the Lord? Are you tracking with me? So he went out and dwelt in the land of wandering on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch, which means dedicated. And there he built a city. Kim Clement says that your place of pain shall become your place of rain. Cain's pain was that he was supposed to be a wanderer, 
He becomes a dweller, and then he creates a city so that other wanderers can know what it's like to dwell, to come home. He's overcoming. Cain was redeemed. The redemption of Cain. Come on, somebody. It's going to get even better. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch, which means dedicated. And there he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. You see, there's a tale of two Enochs. When you hear Enoch, you usually think second from Adam through Seth, the one that walked with God and then one day he was no more because God took him. We're all familiar with that one. This is Enoch seventh from Adam through Cain. But both of them built a city. Watch this. Enoch is building the city with Cain, the first city on earth. Enoch second from Adam through Seth. It says in Jude, he looked and he saw Jesus coming back with 10,000s of his saints. How, what does Jesus return with in Revelation? A city. New Jerusalem. He sees all the way to the last city on earth. God takes him. And I believe he's building that last city. One Enoch. The other Enoch is doing what? Building the first city. Woo, don't miss this, guys. My, my, my. Now watch this. The Enoch was born Arad. Arad begot Mahujael. Mahujael begot Methushael. Methushael begot Lamech. And so that lineage means a possession from God dedicated to quickly be touched by God because he is from God walking in power. That's the story of the redemption of Cain that is playing out. Now, something crazy happens here because the second from Adam through, uh, I'm sorry, the second from Adam through Seth walks with God rightly. Enoch, who is the second from, from Adam through Cain, sorry, second and second, he begins to walk rightly with mankind. He begins to bring wanderers in so that they can dwell. And then you have Lamech, who is seventh from Adam through Cain and the Enoch that is building the first city. Now watch what happens. Lamech takes for himself two wives. And this is the first time that we see women named in scripture. What's happening? The restoration of family is starting to take place. Lamech took for himself two wives. He was going to redeem so powerfully, he did it twice. Calm down, Lamech. The name of one was Ada, which means ornament or beautifier. The name of the second was Zilhah, which means shade or rest. Come on. Now, how many of you know that, that women have that ability to bring beauty and rest and peace to things? They're multipliers, right? They're expanders. They are uh, incubators, right? Whatever you give them, if, if a man will generate something, a woman can take it and expand it and make it become something that the man could never have made it become. <laughs> right? Right? You can, you can buy a house, but man, you need a woman to make it a home. Right? You can give a, a woman a sentence and she'll give you a paragraph. You give a... He said, pull up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, my goodness. So Lamech, he names the women, right? He... He honors them to the point that for the first time in Scripture since Eve, the women are named again. There's a restoration of womanhood. And then what happens is amazing. What is the original intent of parenting? To read the identity, purpose, and destiny on your child's life. Call it out of them. Recite it back to them. Proclaim it so that they become it. 
And so now Lamech has two wives that are named, and now for the first time in Scripture, their children are named and what their children accomplished, what they were known for. Because it takes the man and the woman to pull the, the identity, purpose, and destiny out of children into a place of legendary status. So the, for the first time, now we have children and what they were accomplished, what they accomplished, what they were known for. Watch this. And Ada bore Jabel, which means streams of water. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So what's happening there? As soon as family is restored, as soon as women are honored as an equal part of the picture, now all of a sudden children begin to step into destiny and to take back what was robbed. And so Cain, who is building a city where people can dwell, now all of a sudden, he has eight generations away. He has someone in his lineage who says, hey, this city is awesome, but there's more territory out there. And I got to go get it. I'm going to make a tent, and I'm going to go and take new territory. And this livestock, I'm going to have dominion. Oh, he's stepping back into the original intent. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the livestock. But a child doesn't begin to step into kingdom dominion until family is restored. Until women are honored. Is this making sense? Now watch this. His brother's name was Jubal, which means stream. And he was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. We do not have time to get into this this morning, but I will tell you this. There are scriptures that point to musical instruments being fashioned within the body of Lucifer. In his original design, it says specifically the timbrels, the strings, and the wind instruments. Did you know all instruments fall into those three categories? Percussion, wind, and strings. Everybody take a deep breath. Everybody just sing with me. Ah, oh, you have vocal cords that vibrate like strings and the wind instruments pass, push past the stringed instruments that are within you. Everybody clap your hands for me one time. Percussion instruments. Oh, my goodness. So now we're taking what was the enemy's original intent in his pre-fallen state. When, as soon as family is established, a son begins to walk in the destiny of all mankind, and a son says, you know what was the enemy's? I'm going to take that too. The enemy was made to lead creation and worship? Let's do that. I'm, I'm a little more excited about this than y'all, but it's fine. It's, no, 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 no. It's too late. I'm fine. Watch this. So possession of man's mandate, possession of what the enemy's original mandate was. Now watch this. As for Zillah, she bore Tubal-Cain, who was an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. How many of you know that the metals in the earth are the strength of the earth? So now family is restored, and now there's a son that has a whole lineage that is known for pulling the strength out of the earth, subduing the power of the earth, and making it serve man. You see how everything is being restored through Cain and the redemption of family. The first one to, with a violent act against family, through his lineage, family is restored. Not through Seth, through Cain. Your place of pain shall become your place of rain because our God is a redeemer and a rescuer. So Tubal-Cain is a builder and the sister of Tubal-Cain, her name was Nama, which means loveliness or beautifier. How many of you know we're called to build and to beautify? What needs to happen to Atlanta? 
needs to be reformed. How do you reform a city? You build it into the original blueprint of heaven. And how many of you know that will contain beauty? Because beauty draws people in. The kingdom is attractive. Oh, my goodness. You see, everything in the garden is in seed form. What God began in a garden, he finishes in a city. God takes the garden of Eden up, but when Jesus comes back, he doesn't come back with a garden. He comes back with a city with a heavenly culture. So the original intent of the garden of Eden was not to, not, God didn't want to hang out with a couple of naked vegans forever. <laughs> That's not the original plan. The original plan is that everything in the garden that you need to produce a city with a heavenly culture is there. Man falls, so God takes the garden up. Jesus, the last Adam, ascends to heaven. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Not a mansion in heaven, my friends. Oh, my mansion in heaven has a big swimming pool. Listen, you don't have a mansion in heaven, Jack. <laughs> How am I doing on time? Not good. <laughs> right. I'm going to prove it to you in a minute. In the end, you get kicked out of heaven. And you live in a city with a heavenly culture in the new earth. You were made for this dimension. So the heart of a garden contains the makings of a city with a heavenly culture. And the heart of a king will contain the makings of a heavenly culture. It's interesting that you cultivate a garden and you cultivate a culture. Everything in you to cultivate the culture of Atlanta so that it begins to represent God's way of doing things is within you. Dominion over creation looks like a city with a heavenly culture. Revelation chapter 21, verse one. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no more sea than I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he, God, will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these, for the words are true and faithful. Verse 10, And he carried me up in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, holy Jerusalem. Descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, which is what? His goodness. Her light was like of a most precious stone, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. City had no need for sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth, that's you and I. The kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Chapter 22, verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, is the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. There will be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name will be upon their foreheads, and there will be no night there. They will not need lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever, not in heaven, on the new earth. Expanding from a city with a heavenly culture. You see, when God created everything in the original intent and the original design, he said, ah, this is good. And he's restoring everything back with upgrades. That's where we're headed. 
kingship, dominion on earth was your original design. It is your ultimate destiny, and it is your current opportunity. Isaiah 61 will end with this scripture. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. Don't miss this, church. They They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities. You, my friends, are city builders. You are made to, on earth as it is in heaven, to take what Atlanta is and to reform it to align with the blueprint in heaven so that Atlanta becomes a city with a heavenly culture. Enoch means dedicated. God is looking for an Enoch generation, those who are dedicated to the restoration of family, to the reviving of citizenry, and to the reformation of cities. And that, my friends, is you. Jesus said that the kingdom is like yeast, that a woman, oh, the church, took and worked into the dough, the world, until all the dough had risen. Yeast is a fungus. There's a fungus among us, my friends, and it's you. The purpose of resurgent, the bride side, bring the family, come together, be restored to family, be revived. The ecclesia side of resurgent, now go into Atlanta and bring reformation. Shift what currently is into what should be until Atlanta becomes a city with a heavenly culture. That is our call. Thank you guys for letting me share.